Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Hear now the word of the living God. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place. And the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, And languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And look at verse 28. This is the end of the account. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let us pray. And now, Lord, we pray that you might illumine our thoughts. Speak to us through the proclamation of your word, that the preaching of Christ's word would be his voice to his sheep. Give us comfort in troubling times. Fix our eyes on the Son of Man, we pray. 
Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The very last verse of this chapter of Holy Scripture says that Daniel himself, the recipient of this great and glorious vision, was greatly troubled. This could cause us to ask a question, at least one of many questions that we'll ask in this book, and that is this. How do we deal with our deeply troubled thoughts about the evil world and the direction that it's going? How are we as God's people to deal with our deeply troubled thoughts about the evil world in which we live and the direction that it is going Now, some of you may be new to the things of the Bible, and I just want to help you understand where we just landed. Maybe you just joined us this morning. We are in the book of Daniel. It is an Old Testament book. All of the books of the Old Testament tell the story of getting human history by God's covenant promise to Jesus. And the New Testament, the second half of the Bible, really fleshes out his life and all that it means. Daniel is a book that was written about 550 years before Jesus was born. The people of God, the Hebrews of old, had been carried into exile into Babylon. And there, because they've broken the old covenant with God, they are experiencing God's curse and God's chastisement. But all throughout this book, there have been faithful examples of God-fearing people who will not let go of God's promise to send the Messiah from that people, the people of the Hebrews. Men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego standing faithful. This book of 12 chapters is really two separate kinds of work. The first six chapters, the six chapters that we just walked through are stories, true stories of things that happen. Now we're in the second half. And this is a half of Scripture or a half of the book of Daniel where visions are given. And these visions point to things like what the history of the world will look like. Point to things like God making good on His promises. Dreams and visions that will be interpreted to remind Daniel and the people in exile and us some 2,500 years later that King Jesus rules and reigns over all things. Chapter 7 begins that journey. Maybe you're new to the things of the Bible, but you've read a few passages in the book of the Revelation. The next few weeks are going to sound just like the book called Revelation. For there are visions and dreams that will be interpreted. The language is meant to be understood symbolically. And there's an overarching purpose behind it all. If we were to try to say... What a summary of Daniel chapter 7 is in one sentence. We might summarize it like this, as we shall see. The history of the world is that God rules over all the kingdoms of men. And Christ brings the forever kingdom to men. Now, you could summarize it many different ways. Let me give you that one description again. The history of the world, for that's what Daniel really sees in this set of visions. The history of the world. The history of the world is that God rules over all the kingdoms of men, and Christ brings the forever kingdom to men. I want us to walk through Daniel chapter 7, and then at our 
close, we'll see three lessons answering our question, what should we do when, like Daniel, our thoughts greatly trouble us when we see the evil all around? Picking up in chapter 7, verse 1, we meet a king that we've seen already, a king that has already been crushed, Belshazzar. Remember, this is a list of visions. So Daniel is going back in time to say, during the reign of Belshazzar, this is a dream I had. This is a vision that I have. And the vision opens with the stirring of the great sea and four winds of heaven. This idea of universality. All the winds of heaven coming together. And what is the vision that Daniel Sees. Well, there are several components. I'll remind you up front what they are. There are four beasts. The boys and girls, they sound like animals, beasts in a forest. But each of them, each of these animals is like a symbol. We'll see them in just a moment. There are beasts. There's the Ancient of Days. And there's the Son of Man. Let's walk through these Visions together. Daniel says in verse 2, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. Some of you might be thinking, I'm on the edge of my seat. Who are the beasts? Well, One thing that's helpful for us to consider is the context of the book that we are already in. Have we ever in the book of Daniel already seen a grouping of four? Yes, we have. Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter two, that statue where there are four different kingdoms that Nebuchadnezzar sees. The fourth kingdom was the kingdom of Rome. Daniel now has a dream. And I, along with many scholars, will argue that the four beasts of Daniel's dream are the same four kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Nebuchadnezzar gets a vision of history to encourage Daniel. Daniel gets a vision of history to encourage, and yet, in some ways, to warn. A couple of points as we walk through this vision of four beasts. Chapter 2 was the first chapter written in the ancient language Aramaic. Chapter 7 is the final chapter. Chapter 7, verse 13, points us to the reality that these kingdoms, these beasts, somehow relate to the coming Messiah. Because part of the vision is what? The Son of Man. And if we consider the connections among the four kingdoms of Nebuchadnezzar and the four kingdoms of Daniel's dream, along with the rest of Scripture, we'll see quite a bit of agreement. Now, maybe you weren't with us when we looked at Nebuchadnezzar's dream. There were four different kingdoms. His own kingdom, Babylon, followed by the Persians, which in Daniel's day he would have solved. You would have seen the Persians crushed, if you will, the Babylonians. And then there was the kingdom of Greece and its leader who, like a leopard with the wings of a bird, flew 
throughout much of the known world and conquered it. And then there was Rome. Daniel gets a vision, but here they're animals. Let's look briefly at them. Verse 3 and 4, great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast. Let's stop right there for just a moment. In Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this first kingdom was symbolized by gold. Here it's symbolized as a lion. Now, Scripture interpreting Scripture is an important principle for us. Has any other kingdom, starting around the time of Daniel's day, been referred to as a lion or an eagle? Well, yes. In Jeremiah 4 and verse 7, Jeremiah 49 and verse 19, and Jeremiah 50, verse 44, Nebuchadnezzar is referred to and his kingdom as a lion. In Ezekiel 17, verse 3 and verses 11 and 12, Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom are referred to as an eagle. You see, so often we come to things like this and we think, what's happening in our world? And let's take what's happening in our world and try to make them fit the pictures and symbols of the Bible. But that's not how it's written, brothers and sisters. God's word is a united whole and we understand these kinds of visions from the scriptures elsewhere. The lion, the beast, the first one that Daniel sees is Babylon. Headed by Nebuchadnezzar. And then notice verse 5. And suddenly another beast. What happened to Babylon? Was it slowly destroyed or was it quickly destroyed in a day? It was quickly destroyed in a day. Remember Belshazzar's pride? And within the very day, the handwriting on the wall said it's over. The Persians and the Medes conquered Babylon. This second beast then is Persia. In verse 39 of chapter 2, it's symbolized by silver, but here it's pictured like a bear. Boys and girls, what do bears do? Well, in a fallen world, bears eat other creatures. They tear them up as they eat other creatures. And we see that picture here in verse 5. Look, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It's in the middle of crushing other things by devouring it. Look what it says. And they said thus to it, arise, devour much, much flesh. The Persian kingdom is devouring other kingdoms like a bear devours flesh. But the vision continues. Verse six. After this, I looked and there was another like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. This is the kingdom of Greece led by Alexander the Great. What is happening? Daniel, one of the few faithful to God's promise, is catching a vision of history from his day all the way to the end of time. There will be the Babylonians who will be replaced by the Persians. A third kingdom, a kingdom like a leopard with wings, will crush them. And then there's going to come a fourth kingdom. And it will rule all the rest until the Son of Man brings in the forever kingdom. 
Well, many scholars have argued that the picture here, because this would have been written long before Alexander the Great ever came onto the scene. The picture here is of a very quick animal conquering much of the known world. This leopard has four heads. Some scholars say that this is a reference to what happened to Greece after Alexander the Great, who died in his 30s. What happened to them after that? How was Greece divided after Alexander the Great died? Four generals. So some say this is another picture that the Lord God is fleshing out symbolically of what's going to happen in human history. But those are the three beasts. They're meant to cause fear. They're meant to see, to be seen as difficult and evil and crushing of those around. But notice what happens next in verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. And then over and over and over in this chapter, we read these words in verse 7, in verse 19, and in verse 23. It was different from all the beasts before it. This undoubtedly is Rome. Some scholars debate this, but I think the majority opinion is that this is Rome. But there's a little detail here. This kingdom seems to continue into the time when the Son of Man will come. What kingdom ruled the world when Jesus of Nazareth was born in Bethlehem or Judea? The Romans. What kingdom ruled the world long after Jesus had ascended? The Romans. What kingdom of the world really set the stage for world domination for much of our time up to this present day? The Romans. You don't have to guess. Is this modern day China? Is this modern day Russia? Is this the Ukraine and Russian conflict? No, it is not. This is Daniel getting a vision of history from his day till the king of kings, the son of man, who has received all dominion from the ancient of days should come. So these four beasts Daniel dreams about. Now, one other note, and we'll move to this next vision. I don't think that this kingdom is just Rome. But I think it is Rome and every godless human kingdom after it. And we'll see why in just a moment. Terrifying dream. Imagine, boys and girls, to have this kind of dream or vision in the middle of the night. But it's not the only thing that Daniel sees. Look at verse 9. I watched till thrones were put in place. Now, if you're reading this for the first time and you get to verse 9, you might be thinking, well, these must be the thrones of those various kings and kingdoms. I guess human history is going to be evil people always winning and ruling the day. But notice very quickly what follows. And the Ancient of Days was seated. Now this is the interpretive point for all of the rest of the chapter. Who is seated on the throne? Who stands in judgment? Who rules over all things? Who controls the books of human history? It's not Greece. It's not Babylon. It's not the Persians. It's not Rome or any godless society that comes after it. It is the Ancient of Days, the living triune God. The Ancient of Days was seated. 
Now, boys and girls, God is a spirit and does not have a body like men and women. But here we're given pictures not to teach us that God really has hair on his head, but to teach us things about God. Look what is taught here. His garment was white as snow. The hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued. And then notice how many millions of people are standing before the Ancient of Days. I want you to notice one other thing. All of the other kingdoms, the beasts, had to be put in place. But the Ancient of Days is pictured as sitting. He is not put into place by anyone else. Garment is white as snow. Our God is pure. Fire, often in the scripture, is a picture of God's presence in judgment. But notice, his throne was a fiery flame. Its wheels a burning fire. What are the wheels? Well, perhaps this borrows from the image of ancient times when rulers would be seated on moving thrones called chariots. And its wheels a burning fire. This is a picture of the absolute sovereignty of God and providence over all things. What location is there where God's throne cannot be? There is no location. His throne is not stationary in one city like all the rest of the beasts. He is providentially, sovereignly over all things. There is no location over which the ancient of days cannot rule and reign. And the court is a court of thousands. God truly rules over all peoples. And one thing for Daniel in the midst of this terrifying dream to see is that Daniel, alone in exile in Babylon, is not alone from the view of heaven, is he? Think about it. Think about what we've walked through as we've watched Daniel in the lion's den. As we've watched his friends in the fiery furnace. As it seems like Daniel is one of the few people left who trusts in the living God. And what vision does God give Daniel? That your God rules and reigns over myriads, millions of people, and they all stand before him. This picture that Daniel is getting ought to have encouraged Daniel to say, I may be alone in exile in Babylon, but I'm not alone before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The books were open. This phrase is used in the book of the Revelation as well. A picture of God being absolutely in control of every stroke of human history. But we get this vision of the Ancient of Days, God, the triune God. Pictures of who he is in comparison to these ugly and gnarling beasts. But the scene continues, doesn't it? The visions collide. Look at verse 11. I watched then because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking. It's beautiful language. Here you have this little horn. Now, actually, the little horn seems to be the most powerful of all of the kings of the beasts. But he really is just a little horn in comparison to the ancient days. But notice the comparison. The books are open. God ruling and reigning over all things with absolute pristine purity, with fiery judgment and sovereignty. 
And here is this little horn with pompous words. That is what every godless king down through the ages is really like from heaven's view. They may slaughter their millions on the battlefield, but they are nothing in comparison with the ancient of days. I watched, verse 11. Then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. You've got a vision of these beasts, human history unfolding. You've got God seated on the throne, ruling over even the most pompous of beasts. And then look at verse 13. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man. The Son of Man now is a different person, it seems, from the Ancient of Days. Because look what happens. One like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. It's in comparison to the beasts. Every last one of them passed away. Their kingdoms passed away. And his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. So we have to ask ourselves, who is this son of man? The background to the son of man showing up in verses 11 to 12 is crucial for us, but it's helpful for us. You have this pompous little horn showing up. And then you have a picture of the Son of Man receiving all power and glory and dominion from the Ancient of Days. Where do we read of the term Son of Man? Well, it's a title that Jesus, 550 years later, would use for himself. Jesus called himself Son of Man more than anything else. In fact, He used the term, or the term is used in the four Gospels 81 times to refer to Jesus. We need not doubt who the Son of Man is from the vantage point of Scripture. So what do we have so far, boys and girls? Daniel, all by himself, seeking to be faithful to God, 500 years before Jesus was born, receives a vision, and in it he sees the kingdoms of the world that are going to come down through the ages. He sees the living God seated on the throne, ruling and reigning over all things, and then he sees, as it were, the Son of Man, the Messiah, being brought and ushered into the very throne room of the Ancient of Days, and it is this one that has been chosen to rule over the world forever. That's what we've seen. Notice in verse 3, Daniel sees each of these beasts coming out of the sea. In the book of the Revelation, the sea is a picture of chaos. All of these beasts are coming up out of the sea. But where does the Son of Man come? He doesn't come out of the sea. He comes with the clouds of heaven. Now some will say, oh, this must be a picture of when Jesus is going to come back. Or maybe this is a picture of when Jesus was born the the first time that he came. But really, this is a picture of history. This is just a statement that the Son of Man has been given dominion and he will rule and reign. He will come. He will be born of a virgin. He will live a perfect life. 
He will die on the cross. He will take the penalty for God's people onto himself as a perfect substitute. Three days later, he would be raised. He'd be seen by some 500 witnesses. Forty days later, he would ascend to the right hand of the majesty on high, to the ancient of days. Verses 13 and 14 aren't meant to be placed historically. They're a picture of all of reality. Beasts coming out of chaos and King Jesus coming with the clouds. Now that phrase, coming with the clouds, is a phrase that is used in the Old Testament to refer to God. That phrase there, coming with the clouds, shouldn't cause us to think, ah, the second coming only. No, it's the beasts come out of the chaos of the world, and here the living God is the ruler over all things. A couple of examples. Psalm 104, verse 3. Let's just look there for just a moment. Psalm 104, verse 3. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is Psalm 104. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Who cover yourself with light as with a garment. Who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. He lays the beams of his upper chambers in the waters. Who makes the clouds his chariot. You can read of other examples in the Old Testament. Where the living God is viewed as coming with the clouds. Or being with the clouds. Isaiah 19.1 for instance. So this is a picture of what history is going to be like with the kings of the world and the coming Son of Man, the Messiah. And they're going to intersect, but only one of them is going to win. Notice in verse 14, the phrase, He was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. This is the unconquerable kingdom. This isn't Babylon. This isn't Persia. This isn't Alexander the Great, as powerful as he was. This is not Rome. This isn't the pompous little horn or any other godless king that comes over the last 2,000 years. This is the forever king. This is in keeping, of course, with other passages of Scripture. Let's look at two very quickly. Psalm 2 and verse 8. Psalm 2 and verse 8. God, speaking as it were to the coming Messiah, ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. Or Psalm 72, verse 8. Psalm 72, verse 8. We read similar words there. He, who is that? God's Messiah. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. See, Daniel's visions really are one piece of many pieces which point to the reality that the coming Messiah will be the king of kings and lord of lords who will rule and reign over all things. Now, there's one other note for us to consider. Really, it's just a practical suggestion From this text. Notice that in Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, it is the Son of Man 
It is the coming Messiah. It is Jesus to whom dominion has been given. Just a word of note, there are many in our circles who speak in language that goes like this. We, as God's people, are to take dominion. Which causes me to ask this simple, perhaps slightly sarcastic question. Who are you going to take it from? It's been given to King Jesus. We don't take dominion. Christ has been given dominion. We live in his kingdom. And we live right now in a kingdom that is still ruled by little horns. And yet he is over it all. But we don't have to take dominion from little horns. King Jesus owns the little horn. And every last pompous word that the little horn ushers out of his mouth, King Jesus gives him breath for a time to speak. You don't need to worry, friend, about taking dominion. Christ has dominion. You worship the one who is the second Adam. What was Adam to do all the way back in Genesis? To live for the glory of God perfectly and to have dominion over Eden, the very temple of God. Adam failed. We've lived in failure, story after story. No one can take dominion of God's garden earth. Not Moses, not Noah, not Abraham, not a one of them. But then Jesus, who the scripture says is the second Adam, came. And what did he do? He perfectly did what Adam was supposed to do. And he has entered into glory, the scripture says. So we need not worry about taking dominion. Christ has it. We live in it each and every day. And we wait for when every eye will see it the way that it really is. Well, Daniel is grieved in his spirit. These are the visions. But notice the rest of the chapter is the interpretation, much of which we've already spoken of. Verse 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I would say that a king eating the flesh of other people is troubling. I would say that a godless ruler that is able to spread across the earth like a leopard is troubling. I would say that a pompous little horn that is able to say to the ancient of days prideful sinful words is troubling. He's grieved and he's troubled. Verse 16, I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. Likely an angelic mediator, if you will. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts which are four are four kings which arise out of the earth. We don't don't have to really wonder if the beasts are kings. The, The text tells us that they are. Verse 18, but... The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of brawn, which devoured broken pieces and trampled the residue with its feet and the ten horns that were on its head and the other horn which came up before which three fell. Namely, that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. Does the scripture anywhere speak 
of one ruler that will ultimately come that will be the most pompous against God and his people? Think on this. Verse 21, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came. And a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth, trample it and break it in pieces. The ten horns are ten kings who shall arise from this kingdom and another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall intend to change times and law. Then the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. But, but the court shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion. I just have to stop here to point out, brothers and sisters, if you see where this is going, all of heaven is not in a tizzy. All of heaven is not anxious about all that is happening here on this earth. No one in God's courtroom is wondering who is in control. We often wonder who is in control. But notice what it says, but the court shall be seated. That ought to be stamped upon our minds every single day when we watch the news, when we hear of persecutions of brothers and sisters, but the court is seated. The court is seated. Verse 27, then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. The saints of the Most High, his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Quickly, Daniel stands by. He says, what does all this mean? Notice the comfort of the wording. Verse 17, the beasts, their kings, which arise out of the earth. But, verse 18, the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. Those great beasts are horrific. They're dangerous. They're grisly. They are troubling. But, Daniel, but, Christian, the saints of the Most High will receive the kingdom. It's as good as done. The seated ancient of days, along with the seated court, has already ruled. It's as good as done. We see this elsewhere in Scripture, don't we? Revelation 1.6, Revelation 5.10, Matthew 19.28 and 29. Each of those passages speak to what? The people of Jesus receiving the kingdom. Again, Revelation 1.6. Revelation 5.10, Matthew 19.28 and 29. But notice the little horn, the pompous little horn. The one that is different and rises out of the different fourth beast. There are features that were given of this little horn. Verse 8, verses 20 through 22 and verse 25. Here are the features of the little horn. Number one, he will say pompous words against God. He will rule, as it were, the entire world with hateful words against the living God. Number two, he will persecute the saints. Verse 
History will continue to be, until Jesus returns, a history of cycles where rulers will speak pompous words against God. They will raise their chest in the face of God. They will deny him, they will hate him, and they will persecute his people. And thirdly, he shall intend to change times and laws. Some scholars argue that this is to change religious traditions. Perhaps even days. And of course, within the Jewish context, would there not have been a system every year, specific holidays, days, laws? Now for just a moment before we look at our lessons, who might this little horn be? Because he arises out of the beast of Rome. Let me tell you where we're going. I think you have here a picture in the Old Testament of Antichrist. We won't read these all, but Revelation 13:7, Mark 13:20 speaks similar kinds of words regarding the theme of Antichrist. But there is one verse that you have to see that I have to see regarding the antichrists of this world. Turn with me then to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. This same little horn is referred to as the lawless one. Some 500 years later in the book of Thessalonians, it just... Let me read to you one verse about the lawless one. And then the lawless one will be revealed. Whom the Lord, that is the Son of Man, Christ, the Messiah, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. If you truly understand what Daniel is saying from Daniel's time until the return of Christ, things aren't always going to be pretty for Christ's people. They will persecute us. They will hate us. They will slaughter us. They will say, turning the tables on us, you're the ones who aren't loving because you don't do what we say. They will cancel us. They will crush our children and grandchildren should it continue. But the Lord Christ will wipe it all out with one word at his coming. Not to get controversial, but as an aside. Daniel says that the saints will inherit the kingdom. Paul says in Thessalonians that this Antichrist will continue until what? The second coming. So I think the shape of human history is one where the millennial reign of Christ is going to not always be golden. It's going to be filled with persecutions. But he rules and reigns over it. Listen to what Sinclair Ferguson says. In Daniel's vision, however, the little horn represents the final consummation of evil. 
It belongs to the final days. Therefore, it ought not to be given a specific identification in any historical figure. Notice, however, that the little horn emerges in the context of the beast and the ten horns. It should not surprise us that there will be continual expressions of the characteristics of the little horn that will reach their apex in appearances of the little horn in the last days, as described in Daniel's conclusion. Nevertheless, it is not surprising that many dictators and empire builders have been identified with the little horn and have shared some of its worst features. We have been told that the Antichrist will come in the final days, but that does not preclude our recognizing that many Antichrists have already strutted across the pages of history. What is Ferguson saying? I agree with him. Daniel sees a vision of human history, four kingdoms. The fourth kingdom is Rome. And then Rome continues in its Antichrist kind of ways until Christ returns. But the Ancient of Days is seated and he rules and reigns and he has placed his king, the Son of Man, in charge of all things. And the Son of Man will bring about a kingdom and give it to the saints. You want to know what the history of the world is? The Ancient of Days ruling and reigning over it all and Christ giving the kingdom to men. That's the history of the world. So let's close then with three simple statements. Meditate on these things, brothers and sisters. Number one, we must see the evil of this world from heaven's view. We are constantly looking at it from our own view. We have to see it from heaven's view. The vision that Daniel is given. From heaven's view, who is in control? The Ancient of Days. Who is the King of kings and Lord of lords? The Son of Man. Who has dominion and glory and power and honor that He may be praised? The Son of Man. From our limited, finite view, pressed in on every side by persecutors and God-haters, it's going to be very tempting for our understanding of history to be that men coming up out of the chaos of the sea, beasts of the world rule, but they don't. They don't rule. We must see the evil of this world from heaven's view. Secondly, no evil empire or ruler can go further or longer than God permits. I don't know if you saw the refrain throughout this chapter. Verses like this, verse 12, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Verse 25, for a time and times and half a time. The ancient of days is in control of the times of the kings of the world. No ruler will go further or longer, or farther than God permits. Not even Antichrist. And thirdly, as we close, our Savior, the Son of Man, has all dominion. And so we rest in Him as evil temporarily abounds. Are you troubled by what you see? So was Daniel. Are you concerned? Are you terrified by what your children and or grandchildren may be inheriting after you're gone? Daniel was deeply troubled. And what was the vision he received? The Son of Man, your Savior, has all dominion. John 16:33, and we're finished. Jesus, speaking to his followers, says this. In the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. 
Almighty God. It can be challenging when we read pages of scripture that require us to work a little harder to understand. Beasts, ancient of days, son of man. But we pray that by your grace, you will help us to see the truth of this text. That you, the living God, rule over the history of the world. And you have set your king, the son of man, over Mount Zion. And that he, by his shed blood and righteousness, is giving a kingdom to all who will trust in him. Help us, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.